Welcome to the Refuge Podcast from Trinity United Methodist Church in Ruston, Louisiana. Our prayer is that God uses this time to speak specifically to you, regardless of where you are on your faith journey. We'd like to also invite you to worship with us every Sunday morning at 1045, either in person or online at www.trinityruston.org. Thanks for listening. What's well, good to be with y'all this morning. Uh, this is the fourth Sunday, which is typically my Sunday to preach, but Doug is also over at uh, Gibsland and Oak Grove preaching this morning. Uh, don't forget, we are helping provide three different small Methodist churches with people to fill their pulpits and pastoral cares. They just don't have enough pastors to go around. And if you want to help with that, you can come see me, come see Becky, see Doug, see Gary Green. We can get you plugged into that schedule. Uh, our scripture this morning comes from 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, through chapter 2, verse 2. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to say the Apostles' Creed together, and then jump in. So, our scripture this morning, beginning in verse 8. So, we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, We are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we hear your word. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask for the wisdom to understand it. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series with the Apostles' Creed. Just in case you're not familiar, the Apostles' Creed is an early statement of faith that was used for churches across denominations, especially in the early church, to say what they believed. And in many traditional style denominations, such as our traditional service that happens in our sanctuary, The Apostles' Creed is recited each Sunday during worship. So let's see if we got that. If we have it, put the words up on the screen for us, guys. Here we go. If you can, will you stand and let's recite this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. So there was a man who went to confession and he sat down and he said, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. And the priest said, well, tell me how you sinned. 
Well, yesterday I cursed like I have never cursed before, even using the Lord's name to do so. The priest said, well, that's not good. Why don't you tell me what happened? The man said, okay, I was on the golf course, and I hit a great drive, and it was sure to go 300 yards right down the middle. And as it was still climbing, it hit a power line and fell straight down. And the priest said, well, I imagine that's very frustrating, but that's really no reason to curse like that. The man said, oh, no, there's more. As soon as the ball hit the ground in the fairway, a squirrel ran out, grabbed it in its mouth, and ran off into the woods. Again, the priest said, I know high-end golf balls can be a little expensive, but still, I don't see why that's a reason to curse like that. The man said, oh, there's more. As the squirrel got to the edge of the woods, a hawk swooped down, grabbed it in its talons, and flew off. And as they were in the air, the squirrel dropped the golf ball. It bounced off the cart off a rock, kicked off a hill, landed on the green, and rolled to within about a foot of the cup. The priest said, I understand now. You missed the putt, didn't you? (laughs) You know, again, we've been in this sermon series with the Apostles' Creed, and it's something that's said, especially, as I mentioned, in traditional style services. But it's one of those things that we can say each week, But we need to ask, do we really think about what it means when we say all those things? Have we sat down and thought about what it is we really believe when we're saying all of that stuff? And this morning, we're focusing on four simple words that we believe. We believe in the forgiveness of sins. And with those four words, we are saying a whole lot. We're saying, one, that sin is a real thing. Two, that forgiveness is needed. And three, we're saying, most importantly, that forgiveness is possible. So I want to look at this, and I want to look at it a little more in depth, because this is not the type of thing that we just need to gloss over. This is something we really need to work with and understand. But before we work with what the forgiveness of sins looks like, let's look at sin as a concept. First, I think we need to define sin clearly. And you can get into all sorts of hypotheticals. You can get into all sorts of what-ifs. But really, the definition for me of sin that works the best is the definition that John Wesley used, the founder of the Methodist movement. He defines sin as a willful violation of a known law of God. Really make it simple. Sin is this. Doing something... I know God doesn't want me to do or failing or refusing to do something. I know God does want me to do. Don't worry about the law. Don't worry about all the 600 some odd commandments in it. Don't worry about circumstantial or situational things. Worry about this. Does God want me to do this? If so, then I should. Does God not want me to do this? If so, then I shouldn't. And doing the opposite in either case is what sin is. Secondly, let's look at why sin is serious. We have this um, 
propensity as people to take certain sins, certain things, and just wink and nudge and just brush them off to the side. But the reality is that sin is a serious thing. And instead of boiling sin down just to an action, think of sin as a breach of relationship. In other words, sin is God saying, I want you to do this. And when we go the other path, we are by default choosing our own wisdom, our own values, our own needs above God and the needs of others. Sin is us making the choice of ourselves at the expense of everything else. And that is a serious thing. So third, the consequences of sin. Friends, the scriptures are clear. The consequences of sin are judgment and death. Now, it's not a popular thing we like to talk about. And unfortunately, I think so many people have a slightly skewed version of this. Here's what I mean. We see sin as this road that God has told us to walk. And if we step off the road, God just gets really, really mad and decides to get us. God says, okay, you did what I said not to do. Now I'm going to judge you. Now you're going to suffer. And that's not what it is at all. That is not the way the biblical narrative plays out. God is the author of life. God is life itself. God is life. And friends, if we turn away from life and the path of life, by default, where is the only other place to turn? That is to death. If we turn from the one who is righteous, the one who is holy, the one who redeems and saves and reconciles, where do we have to turn but turning to judgment? It's kind of like this. Because of sin, judgment is there like a a rainstorm. And when we leave the canopy of God's grace, a relationship with God, we place ourselves in the rain. Jesus told this to Nicodemus. Remember, he told Nicodemus the well-known verse, John 3, 16, God so loved the world. He gave his only son, etc. But then he goes on in verse 17 and says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And Jesus goes on to explain, anyone who believes in me will never be condemned. But those who refuse to believe, they automatically, by default, are already standing under judgment and condemnation. Sin has very serious consequences. And the other part of sin's consequences is that sin doesn't just affect us. It never only affects us. It affects those around us. It affects those in our family, those in our church. It affects our world in general. Sin has very serious consequences. So remember... When we talk about sin, when we talk about judgment or forgiveness, remember, sin is not harmful because it is forbidden. Sin is forbidden because it is harmful. The order is very important there. But as is always the case, with God, 
there's good news. I've just given you all the bad news. But when we say the Apostles' Creed each and every week, we are saying there is good news. We're acknowledging what is bad. We are stating what is already there, the elephant in the room. But we are also saying that there is a remedy for our condition. And that is forgiveness of sin offered to us by God through Jesus Christ and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? It can't be a hypothetical thing. If we're going to talk about sin as a real thing, we have to talk about forgiveness as a real and tangible thing as well. So how do we experience that? Our passage we read this morning, for me, outlines what it means to experience the forgiveness of God for our sins. First, we have to understand that we all have a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. Look with me at 1 John 1.8. This is the beginning of our passage. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we say we don't have sin, we are living into a state of self-deception. And friends, you know as well as I do, living in self-deception is a really dangerous place to be. So this whole concept of sin nature. I had someone ask me, actually after the first service, fantastic question. They said, Chris, if we are made in the image of God, then how can that image contain evil, a sin, sin nature? I said, that's a fantastic question. And the answer goes back to the fall of humanity. We are made in the image of God, but we're also given free will to choose that relationship, to accept it or reject it. And because of that, that necessity of that relationship, we have chosen to sin. Which means that we all now have this propensity for messing things up. Think of anything good in life. Think of the best thing in life. How long does it take for people to mess that up? Not very long, does it? We have this incredible knack for making things bad. Listen to how Richard Foster, in his fantastic book, Celebration of Discipline, listen to how he puts this idea of a sin nature. He writes, The natural motions of our lives produced mire and dirt. Sin is part of the internal structure of our lives. No special effort is needed to produce it. Don't you feel that way? Isn't sinning just the easiest thing to do? I kind of look at it at like healthy eating. It's so much easier just to go to Taco Bell than to actually cook a healthy meal. And it sounds delicious. And you always regret it afterwards. It's easier just to do those things. It doesn't take any effort. For us to sin, it really doesn't take any effort. That's why we can identify with the words of Paul the Apostle when he wrote, the good I want to do, that's not what I seem to do. It's the things I don't want to do that I always find myself doing. So the first thing we have to do is understand that we have a natural bent towards sinning. That we have something within us that pulls us 
in that direction, that we are susceptible to a fall. The moment we start to believe that we are impervious to falling to sin is the moment we set ourselves up for a catastrophic collapse. We got to understand that we have a sin nature. We have to realize that. We have to realize that we are powerless on our own to do anything about that. It's just there, and we need help with it. I've heard people say who are outside the Christian faith, well, telling people they're sinners is just judgmental and harsh. Well, listen to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, so I, I, other people are I know, but Mark's a medical professional. So Mark, if someone went into the doctor, and the doctor did blood work and pathology and et cetera, et cetera, and saw a diagnosis of a terminal illness, would anyone look at that doctor and say, well, you're just being judgmental telling me that? No. As a matter of fact, that's what should happen because they need to know about that because they need to begin to take steps to treat, hopefully to cure or at least to prepare. With sin, without Jesus Christ, friends, we are all terminal. It's not judgmental to say that. It is the reality. The good news is coming. Don't worry. So we all have this sin nature. Now, saying we're not susceptible to fall, saying we don't struggle with sin, that's one extreme. Here's the other extreme. There are some people who want to blame an exterior source for their sin. Oh, it's this object's fault. It's my circumstances' fault. It's the other person's fault. Friend, don't victim blame for your sin. Some people even blame God for their sin. Well, if God wouldn't have tempted me or if this situation wouldn't have come about, I wouldn't have sinned. You know, this passing the buck, we're good at that because that's what happened in the very beginning, isn't it? God comes to Adam and says, Adam, what'd you do? I, I see the, the fruit peel on the ground and I see the juice all around your mouth. What'd you do, bud? Uh, the woman, she did it. So Eve, what'd you do? Uh, the snake, he did it. We've been passing the buck since the beginning and not much has changed. Listen to how James puts it. And remember when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Listen to this. this. This is the crux of this one. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Our sin comes from our desires. Our temptations come from us. We have a sin nature. We cannot pretend that we don't struggle with it, and we cannot blame any exterior source for it. Acknowledging and understanding that we all have sin, a sin nature, is the first step in experiencing forgiveness. The second step is to admit that we all have sinned. So first, we all have this sin nature, but also we have all actually sinned. 1 John 1.10, if we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. It's a pretty serious accusation, isn't it? 
We're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So there's a disturbing phenomenon that, that has been around forever, but it's really gotten its name uh, more recently. And this phenomenon is known as gaslighting. To gaslight someone is to say, well, you remember that wrong. I, I didn't really do that. I actually did this, or you actually caused me to do that, or, or, or. To gaslight is to change someone's perception to get yourself off the hook, basically. And gaslighting stems from a very, very bad trait to have, narcissism. A person who is a narcissist believes that they are the center of the universe and can do no wrong, and all other people simply orbit around them to make their life happen. When we say we've never sinned, the scriptures say we are trying to gaslight God Almighty. That's not something I think I want to try and do. It is very possible to become a spiritual narcissist, to really get to a point where we try to ignore and cover and dismiss the fact that we've sinned. Or at least change it and say, well, but my circumstances, you know, God understands. God's okay. Friends, we can never, never begin to justify sin. That's not something we can do. Because we are showing, as John says at that point, that God's word has no place in our hearts. Paul puts it very simply in his letter to the Romans. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. So this is not a verse that is meant to make us feel bad. It's a verse that's meant to level the playing field and help us understand we've all done this. Everyone. No one is immune. No one is exempt from this. So we have to do something. Now, before we knew Christ, we came to this moment, many of us had this moment, this realization, where we needed forgiveness. So we, we prayed to God in faith, we asked for Christ's forgiveness, we were forgiven, all of that was wiped away, we've been changed. And if you've not made that decision, if you've not turned to Christ ever for forgiveness, please come and talk to me at the end of the service. I want to talk with you about what that looks like. But when we do that, we are forgiven. Everything's between us and God. It is reconciled. It is made right. But that's not the end of this repentance. Because as we go 